and welcome back to Praised Be Podcast. I am still Kelsey. Um, so I just finished watching uh, Handmaid's Tale uh, season one, episode one. The episode's name is Off Red, and um, it was amazing. This is my fifth time watching the season, but every single time that I watch this season opener, I remember why I'm so obsessed with this show. It's just it's amazing and um clearly you also think so if you're listening to this podcast um but before I get into my analysis of the episode um I just want to do a little shout out to my Instagram so at praised be podcast on Instagram and feel free to send me a message about what you want to hear on the show what you liked what you didn't like but remember stay nice because the internet is already a really hard place to be so just be nice um but let's get into the episode. So in the first five minutes of Off Red, it is so uneasy, uncomfortable, and gut-wrenching to watch. Uh, as a viewer, you're immediately transported into this not-so-far-away future uh, where we're introduced to our main character, um, June. So we aren't told her name or anything about her. We're just brought into this scene where June is running through the woods, holding on to her daughter so tight. Um, And then you're brought with all these questions like, why is June running? Who's chasing her? Why are they chasing her? You know, why are there cop cars? Why are the cops so militarized? Um, And like, what did she do to warrant this huge scene of her being chased with her daughter? Why was her husband shot? There's just so much. And, you know, you have to remember, this is the season opener. This is the first five minutes of this show. And this is the first thing that you see is this horribly gut-wrenching scene of June running with her daughter, praying that her daughter stays quiet so they can escape these uh, militarized cops. And, um, Amidst all of these thoughts, you know, I can't help but think of the current political climate. So I'm aware that this show aired April 2017, and now it's 2018, and I'm a little bit behind on, you know, doing this podcast. However, the fact that this novel was written in the 80s, this episode was a year ago, and you can still take this episode and bring it into current events is what makes this show so amazing. So this dystopian society doesn't seem too far-fetched when currently in the United States, we have a zero-tolerance policy that separates mothers and fathers from their children at the border. So when I saw June and Hannah being separated, dragged apart, and desperately, desperately begging to be with one another, I was immediately brought to the thought of the 2,300 babies that are separated from their parents and held in facilities similar to what... I'm sure uh, we later see the handmaids are held in these facilities that aren't uh, supposed to be used uh, for, you know, people to be living in. But instead, you know, the government turns these structures into homes for people that uh, have been separated, right? So these children are brought into these facilities. They don't know what's going on. They don't know why they're being separated. Uh, A lot of them don't even speak English, and they're in America now uh, where we speak English. And can you just imagine for a moment 
like how sad and scared and uneasy and confused these children are, well, that's what the handmaids are going to feel when they are brought into uh, what we later learn as the Red Center. Um, so the uncomfortableness of the first five minutes might be because the idea of Gilead is plausible as we have seen in current events, right? So um, as a mother, when I'm watching June, you know, beg for her child not to be taken from her, and June is literally putting her life on the line for her daughter, I feel that so much. And I think that's another reason that I related with this show so hard, because as a woman and as a mother, you know, these ideas aren't so far-fetched when you see mothers at the border getting their children taken away and snatched, and they are put in the same situation that June was put in. And so the rea- the relation between the two, the current events and the show, are just so amazing. So after the chase and June is captured and she's separated from her daughter and her husband, um, who we heard get shot, uh, we're introduced to the handmade version of June. And so June says, my name is Offred. I had another name, but it's forbidden now. So many things are forbidden now. And I think that that line is so important because it shows how defeated and how uh, just like brainwashed and, you know, how much Gilead had taken from her at that moment. Because now June doesn't get to wear what June wants to wear. And June doesn't get to be who June wants to be. And June doesn't get to go by the name that June wants to go by. And June doesn't live in her house and she doesn't see her daughter. She has everything stripped from her from this society. And I mean, that's just insane and it's sad. And, you know, this whole episode is, it makes you uncomfortable because of the reality of the situation and the reality of the political climate today. Like, the, I think the reason so many people watch this show or so many people don't watch this show is because they're afraid of, um, how realistic it is, right? So when June was in the Red Center, she was trained to feel guilty, shameful, and blame for the destruction of the society that they had known before uh, because of their reckless or undignified life prior to the new America. Um, So they're forced uh, to bear children for the commanders and their barren wives, and we're introduced to this idea of handmaids uh, at the Red Center. And then we're also introduced to one of our greatest characters, Aunt Lydia. So Aunt Lydia is the character that you absolutely love to hate. Um, I think she does so much for every episode that she's in because of how just like appalling the things she says and does to these women is and as a woman you know that there has to be like she has to disconnect herself in order to do these things to these people um so uh they're all sitting in the red center uh being explained that they're the the reason that um the world is cursed with infertility because they weren't respecting themselves in the world and um, Aunt Lydia, you know, tells them that uh, she's going to make them back into the proper woman that they need to be in order to stay in this society. And um, she also tells them that they're lucky 
to uh, bear children for the commanders. So she's brainwashing them and telling them that this is right. So I think a lot of it, what happens at the Red Center, these women are so confused. You know, like June, they were caught, rounded up, captured. And all they can think about is the children that they left behind. So when, you know, later we're introduced to the people who are like, you know, why wouldn't you just kill yourself? Well, you wouldn't kill yourself because you still have a living child, you know, and that's part of you. And you think that, you know, there's no way this is going to last forever. I'm going to get out of this. And I don't want to, you know, get out of this without my daughter there. So I just, you know... I'm sad at the whole idea of the Red Center, um, but I'm sure, I mean, it's more than just sad. So um, in the Red Center, uh, we're also introduced to Janine, who is a great character as well. Um, and she's kind of crazy, but there's a scene that sticks out so much. So I think a common theme in this show is rape. Um, the whole show is based off of rape, right? So um, rape comes up multiple times in this show. And um, the first time is when they're in the Red Center and they're all sitting in a circle, uh, very cult-like, and Janina's sitting in the middle and she's telling her rape story about how she was gang raped. And the women have to point at her and say, it's your fault you were raped. You were raped to teach you a lesson. And Aunt Lydia is forcing these women to do this. And if they don't do it, you know, they get uh, smacked or they get tased. So these women have to victim blame uh, Janine for being raped. And I think as soon as you start victim blaming, that's when that person loses a little bit of themselves. As soon as they feel like what they did was their fault, um, then they're more likely to lose themselves in the situation. And that's, as soon as you break down those barriers, that's how it's easier to brainwash them into doing what you want them to do, i.e. be a handmaiden. So, um, so that's the first time that we're introduced to rape. And then the second time is the ceremony. So the ceremony is a glorified rape covered up by, um, you know, Bible verses and everything. And I think this also is another idea of what fundamentalist, uh, fundamentalist Christians can do. So they take the Bible so literally. If the Bible says, you know, uh, my wife is barren, so I need to have kids with somebody else, they're taking that so literally and forcing these women to give them children because their wife is barren. Um, and I think that um, the idea of, you know, calling it a ceremony instead of, you know, we're going to go rape our handmaiden also gives them like that leeway in their head that they're not bad people. They're just doing what the Bible is telling them to do. And I think when you take the Bible out of context like that and you, you use you use it how you want to use it. So you take bits and pieces and you put them together into making a sentence that you think makes the most sense for what your agenda is. And that's what these people in Gilead are doing. And that is something that uh, fundamentalist Christians do nowadays where you know they, they read the Bible and the Bible says no gays and then they immediately start attacking gay people because, oh, well, the Bible told me no gays. But 
you're not supposed to take the Bible literally. The Bible is not written by God. The Bible is written by man and it's the word of God written by a man. So it's going to have a different tone. And, you know, if you take this Bible literally and you lose all the sense of love and uh, the, the morals of the Bible by taking it so literally and then convincing yourself that you're not raping somebody, you're not killing somebody, the Bible is telling you to do so. It's, it's insane, right? So during the ceremony, um, she is brought into the room uh, they say a prayer. She talks about how the the ceremony is Serena's um, night to command the room. So Serena is uh, the commander of the rape. And um, the wives are forced to watch their husbands have sex, uh, rape a woman, and pray that this woman gets pregnant from this rape. And I think there's so many things that I was thinking when I was watching that scene. Like, um, one, I'm just really confused by how sadistic uh, Fred can be to come when he's raping somebody. Like, the fact that Fred could even uh, get hard, have sex, and then come inside off Fred is... And the fact that there's multiple men, all the commanders are doing this to handmaids, that idea is so absurd. And, like, in Fred's prior life, did he have these weird rape fantasies? Is that where this idea of the ceremony came? You know, the fact that he can can go through with this without thinking that what he's doing is so horrible and horrific, it just really, it's insane. Um and I hope that somebody else also thought that it was insane that throughout the show they ejaculate into the handmaid when they're raping her. Because I just think that's literally, I mean, who comes up with this? It's insane. Okay. So uh, June starts experiencing some PTSD from her rape, right? And she runs outside and she, you know, says that she can feel, uh, Fred's come slipping down her leg and it's so graphic and there's so much detail in this, but there needs to be, this isn't a conversation that we need to just like throw some sugar on top of to make everybody comfortable because it's not comfortable. And the idea of rape and the idea of, of, um, you know, separating people and making them feel so secluded and uh, lost in their own life, like, that's not something that we should just say lightly. This idea isn't far-fetched. It isn't because this is happening to people all over the world. Women are getting raped. Uh, men are getting raped. People are getting raped and their rapists just walk around like it's okay what they did to these women and men. And that's insane. So she runs outside, she's you know, freaking out, she needs to just get a breath, catch up with herself, and then she sees Nick. And she realizes at that moment that there's never going to be a free moment in Gilead because even in her escape from her most traumatic event, 
she's still being watched. She is never going to be free here because that's how they want her to be. They want her to be this, uh, this workhorse who is just here to make babies and not talk out of term and stay quiet and be meek and be mild. And, you know, you're not who you're supposed to be anymore. Everything is taken from you. Even your right to, you know, have a panic attack when you just got raped and everybody was there watching and the wife was gripping your wrist so hard. Like, no, you don't get to even cope from that. You are being watched at all times. And I think that that's such a big part that that, that victims of rape go through anyways. So if you are a rape victim and you openly speak about how you feel about your rape and then someone tells you no, you can't feel that way. You can't have these ideas because, you know, what were you wearing? Why did that happen to you? And I think that that's similar to the way that June's being watched and she doesn't have a free moment to even think about anything because she's being watched. Well, that's similar to the women and men who are raped every day. You know, they don't get to cope with it. It takes 10 years uh, to finally c start coping with a rape. And that's not just a fact I pulled out of my ass. That's, that's the true scientific research. It takes 10 years to start coping and being the same person you were before. So if you are living this life where every month you are raped, um, when you are fertile, Imagine the amount of trauma that she's going to go through. And then we learned that this is her second house. So this isn't her first time going through this whole ceremony either. So she's got already a lot of trauma in her life. So she's heard her husband shot, her daughter. She's been raped multiple times. She's been beaten in the red center. She's watched her friend get her eye pulled out. Um, and then we're brought to our final scene of rape uh, where... They are at the salvaging. So the salvaging is the way that... So the salvaging is where uh, the handmaids who have all this repressed rage because they have to be these meek and mild people are able to just get it all out. So right before the salvaging, June finds out that uh, her best friend Moira is dead. And I'm immediately brought back to uh, what she said when she got caught by Nick, where she says, just keep your fucking shit together. Because she doesn't. In the salvaging, she loses her mind because she has so much trauma and she needs this outlet of the salvaging. But what's worse is the salvaging is for a man convicted of rape, which is ironic, right? In the society that's based on raping women, a man is convicted of rape. And then Aunt Lydia says that rape is the worst. Right after she had victim blamed Janine and made Janine feel like shit, feel like shit for being raped, uh, she says rape is the worst thing that a man could do to a woman. And that's ironic because this whole society rapes these women. And then she says, this man raped a handmaid. Well, a handmaid gets raped every month by their commander. 
So they pick and choose who is the bad guy in this society. Um, and also, I think that this man, you know, might not have even raped the handmaid. Maybe they were in a relationship together and her commander found out and they wanted him gone and dead. Um, so it just brings about all these ideas of, you know, who is really the judge of what is going on. Uh, but I think that the salvaging was so important so that way June could realize that she has more allies than she thought. Because Offglen, who she thought was this pious bitch, actually turns to her and uh, tells her that she had a wife and a son and they went to Canada and, you know, so she's saying she's a gender traitor. She is saying that she has kids. Um, she was, you know, this educated woman who also lived in the same area. She had ice cream that was better than sex, which was great. Um, but then she says to her, uh, you know, they do that to us. They make us really distrust each other. And that is it. That's how they brainwash everybody. So the handmaids don't trust the other handmaids. And the Marthas don't trust the other handmaids. And nobody trusts the commanders and their wives. And everybody is just so on edge all the time and so uncomfortable with each other that they're able to just manipulate the way that everybody interacts with each other. And I think that that is how this society thrives. Because if you are able to manipulate the way that people feel and the way that people interact with each other, you are able to manipulate the entire social structure of this society. And that's how they got where they were. Because slowly but surely, they were able to manipulate every single person into doing what they wanted them to do. So I think that this show is so important to watch because I think that it teaches us uh, women and men to look out for these signs and, you know, not let us get to this place. So we've already elected this jackass president, but now we need to figure out how to not do stuff like that again, right? So we watch the show and we need to see the warning signs, like how do we not get to where they are at that point, right? And I think that's so imperative that we all watch it. Hopefully, you know, the people that are watching it are not getting the wrong ideas and, um, you know, creating their own shithole dystopian society. But, um, you know, if they are, at least they're watching a great TV show. Um, and I think that they're not going to, it's not going to work because so, so many of us are watching this and we're like, oh, not on my watch. You're not going to do that. And I think this show has really gathered a community that really cares about everything so deeply. Um, and so I'm just so excited to see where, you know, this podcast can go, where other people's opinions are. Um, I'm excited to just keep this conversation, you know, alive. And since season three uh, doesn't have an air date yet, um, rewatching the seasons is going to be great for all of us. We can all just rewatch it together. So um, thank you for listening. And um, I hope that you tune in and I hope that I make it to season three with you. Bye.